When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the history of evangelicals and politics, the Obama era. This is episode 18, Greetings from Asbury Park. I'm John Fia. In the wake of Mayor Gavin Newsom's decision to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples in San Francisco, several other cities and towns, some of them pressured by local gay communities, decided to follow Newsom's lead. Inspired by events in San Francisco, Victoria Dunlap, the Republican clerk in Sandoval County, New Mexico, which is a part of the Albuquerque metropolitan area, expressed interest in issuing such licenses. The Sandoval County attorney asked her to seek input from New Mexico's attorney general and the Association of County Governments. But Dunlap ignored the request and issued 66 licenses to gay couples on February 20th. At 4 p.m., the state attorney general ordered her to stop the practice, and Dunlap agreed to abide by the order, as 100 couples still waited in line to obtain a license. About a month later, Dunlap claimed that the New Mexico ban on same-sex marriage was based on outdated statutes, and thus began issuing marriage licenses to gay couples again. This time, the courts got involved. On March 23rd, a state district judge issued an injunction to stop Dunlap from selling any more licenses. New Mexico state GOP leaders denounced Dunlap. Richard Gibbs, the chairman of the Sandoval County Republican Central Committee, censured her for bringing disgrace to the party as a whole, adding that other than assassination, all we can do is censure her. They also asked Governor Bill Richardson to call a special session of the state legislature to consider a constitutional amendment that would ban same-sex marriage. They had the people of the state on their side. 61% of New Mexicans opposed same-sex marriage. Meanwhile, in the 6,000 resident village of New Paltz, New York, located about 80 miles north of New York City, a 26-year-old Green Party mayor 
and part-time house painter and puppeteer named Jason West concluded that New York law did not condemn gay marriage and asked the town's county clerk to start issuing licenses to gay couples. When the clerk refused, West started officiating at same-sex weddings, despite the fact that couples did not have marriage licenses. West said he would continue to perform these weddings, even if it meant spending time in jail as a result. On February 27, he presided over 21 same-sex marriage ceremonies. Gay couples from around the country started scheduling trips to New Paltz to tie the knot. West was right about the possibility of facing jail time. He was arrested and charged with 19 misdemeanors for solemnizing marriages without a license. And in a dramatic scene captured by television cameras, he was escorted to jail by the local police. He pleaded not guilty in a town court proceeding, was processed by the local police, and then released to the cheers of supporters gathered outside the courthouse. West told the crowd that he was leading a new civil rights movement in New Paltz. State Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, a Democrat with a reputation for being a tough prosecutor, was not amused. Spitzer supported same-sex marriage, but he also followed the law. He ordered Weston New Paltz to stop issuing marriage licenses to gay couples. Throughout the ordeal, the village of New Paltz became, at least for the moment, the center of the fight for gay marriage in America. Downtown parking lots were filled with news trucks. Vendors on Main Street sold t-shirts depicting two grooms and inviting gay couples to say I do to New Paltz. A local florist started providing flowers for gay weddings, and a local restaurant offered free champagne to newly married couples. West seemed to revel in the attention, but not everyone in New Paltz was happy about it. We don't need the hassle, said a local farmer. A county legislator said that West was bringing too much notoriety to the town and suggested that perhaps he was more suited to be a talk show host than a mayor. A local jeweler said that West was an embarrassment to the community and added that he was only trying to make a quick name for himself. Another resident said that he supported gay marriage in New Paltz, but didn't like hearing about it on the 11 o'clock news. On March 5, a state Supreme Court judge ordered West to stop the gay marriages. That's phase one, said conservative New Paltz Village trustee Robert Hebel. The next thing is having him removed from office. In Hebel's quest to get West impeached, he relied upon the legal services of Matt Staver's Liberty Council. The gay marriage debates in Massachusetts, San Francisco, and elsewhere were certainly keeping this Christian right legal firm very busy. In Oregon, a state gay rights organization called Basic Rights Oregon began a campaign for gay marriage in Multnomah County, the home of Portland, and the most liberal county in the state. The organization worked closely and privately with four liberal women on the five-person county board of commissioners, but never involved the fifth member of the committee, conservative Lonnie Roberts, in their conversations and deliberations. A representative of the Oregon Family Council called it a well-conceived sneak attack. 
The behind-the-scenes strategizing by the pro-gay marriage city leaders galvanized Christians in Portland, especially evangelical and African-American churches. Lawsuits came from a host of Christian right organizations, including Liberty Council and the American Family Association. Between March 3rd and March 9th, Multnomah County issued 1,700 marriage licenses to same-sex couples. A county circuit judge refused to stop the practice, despite a state law banning gay marriage. This led to months of legal battles over whether Democratic Governor Ted Kulangoski and his state attorney general, both of whom demanded the county stop issuing marriage licenses to gay couples, had the legal right to do so. The county would continue issuing these marriage licenses until an Oregon court ruled gay marriage illegal. Ultimately, as we will see in a later episode, the legality of gay marriage in Oregon would be decided in a November ballot initiative. In the rest of this episode, I want to focus on the gay marriage debate in Asbury Park, the New Jersey shore town founded in the 19th century by evangelical Methodists and made famous by the music of Bruce Springsteen. On March 8, 2004, Rick Best and Louis Navarrete were married at 3.35 p.m. in City Hall, making them the first gay couple to obtain a marriage license in the state of New Jersey. Kiki Tomek, the deputy city clerk, consulted with city attorneys who informed her that there were not any provisions in the New Jersey statutes banning same-sex marriage. Deputy Mayor James Bruno performed the wedding ceremony after African-American Mayor Kevin Sanders refused to do it out of a concern that he would be breaking the law. Sanders also worried about lawsuits that had the potential of putting the struggling city in financial jeopardy. According to State Attorney General Peter Harvey, City Clerk Tomek got some bad legal advice. His office called Best and Navarrete's marriage a hoax and reminded the public that in November 2003, the state Supreme Court had upheld a New Jersey law that prohibited same-sex marriages. But since seven same-sex couples were in the process of appealing that decision, City Clerk Tomek thought her decision to issue the licenses had legal standing, at least for now. John Tamika, the executive director of the League of American Families, sided with Harvey. He said, there is no constitutional or statutory authority for same-sex couples in New Jersey to marry. The action taken today in Asbury Park represents governmental anarchy. The head of the New Jersey branch of the Family Research Council said that when you destroy marriage as we know it, you destroy families. The next day, a woman affiliated with the Seventh-day Adventist Church staged a small protest outside of City Hall. She told the Asbury Park Press that the Bible said Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for this. I am like Elijah, a lone voice for God today. But actually, she was not alone. A 46-year-old man stood near her with a sign that said, Freak Show, as passing motorists shouted at him for his intolerance. But this did not deter the protester, who screamed back words about how gay marriage is going to ruin the world. As news cameras surrounded him, he said, 
You put nine guys on an island. When they're 100 years old, will there be a child? No. He also carried a cutout of a popular animated television star, proclaiming, if homosexuals can marry, I want to marry Bart Simpson. Attorney General Harvey ordered Tomek and the city to stop issuing marriage licenses to gay couples. Governor John McGreevy, who in six months would announce that he was gay, admit he had been cheating on his wife with a man, and resign his office, stood behind the state Supreme Court's November 2003 decision banning gay marriage, but encouraged gay couples to take advantage of New Jersey's recently passed measures affirming domestic partnerships. On March 10th, Asbury Park stopped issuing marriage licenses to gay couples, but announced that it would appeal to the New Jersey Superior Court. Bishop Cleveland Harvey, pastor of Christ Temple in neighboring Neptune, was happy about the decision. He worried the city was sending young people the wrong message. They come to the conclusion that what is going on is right, he said. It's not all right. It's an abomination before God. That's what's written in the word. Meanwhile, Pat Robertson's American Center for Law and Justice filed a lawsuit to prevent any more gay marriages from being issued in the seaside community. Though many of the usual suspects, such as Robertson, the Family Research Council, and local pro-family groups, sent culture war ground troops to Asbury Park to stop gay marriages, the most powerful form of Christian resistance to the practice, as Reverend Cleveland's words make clear, came from the city's African-American community. In order to understand this resistance, a little background is necessary. According to the 2000 census, Asbury Park was 67% Black. Most of the city's Black residents lived on the west side of Asbury Park, roughly a mile or two away from the boardwalk and waterfront, where white tourists had come to the seaside community for over a century to enjoy the beach and the sun. In 2004, both the white and Black communities of Asbury Park were still living with the effects of the racial unrest that racked the city in July of 1970. That summer, the residents of Asbury Park lived through seven days of looting, violence, and destruction that resulted in 180 injuries, including injuries to 15 state troopers and over five and a half million dollars in damages. West Side residents were tired of the city council's empty promises to bring urban renewal to their neighborhoods through job creation improved recreational facilities, and better schools and housing. Nearly 30% of Asbury Park's population were on welfare, most of them from the West Side. So when a group of young Blacks exiting a teen dance clashed with Asbury Park police officers on a warm 4th of July evening in 1970, chaos ensued on Springwood Avenue, the center of Black entertainment and commerce on the West Side. It would take decades before Asbury Park even came close to recovering from the physical, economic, social, and psychological damage that the riots brought to the city. The economy, which was already struggling at the time of the racial unrest, all but collapsed. White people moved out, leading to a precipitous decline in the tax base. Historic hotels and businesses near the boardwalk closed. 
redlining and segregation became more prominent than ever. Tourists stopped coming. In 1978, the New York Times ranked Asbury Park as the 12th most distressed urban area in the United States. Springsteen would later describe it as my city of ruins. But in the late 1970s, Asbury Park formed a development corporation in the hopes of restoring it to its 20th century grandeur. Over the next several decades, the city sought investors and developers interested in redesigning the city's oceanfront and revitalizing its once vibrant shopping district. Most Westsiders had seen this before. White middle-class Asbury Park residents, who made up a significant minority in the city, would try to attract white tourists, white residents, and white development on the boardwalk in the hopes of lifting the economic well-being of the entire city. Such trickle-down economics was not what these Westsiders had hoped for. By the 1990s, the development efforts were gaining traction. Young white couples began moving into Asbury Park, buying some of the city's rundown, dilapidated homes, and renovating them into what one reporter described as sparkling showcases of the city's revival. Many of these new arrivals were gay. One New York City magazine described Asbury Park as Fire Island without the greed, naked ambition, or steroids. Asbury Park was becoming one of the Northeast's rising gay communities. And it was these new white middle-class residents that began the work of turning Asbury's economy around. They opened upscale shops and restaurants in town and on the boardwalk and moved into new waterfront residential complexes. They were also interested in getting married. As a result of all this, a new culture war developed in the New Jersey seaside town. The debate over gay marriage in Asbury Park pitted about 1,000 white gay residents who had invested time and money into restoring the city against the majority of the city's 17,000 residents who were black and still remembered the racial unrest of the 1970s. Most of these Westsiders were connected in one way or another to several black churches on the west side of the city and in the adjacent town of Neptune. On the day of Attorney General Harvey's order to stop issuing marriage licenses to gay couples, local radio host Ron Holland, a deacon at the African-American United Fellowship Baptist Church of Asbury Park, invited four members of the local clergy to discuss gay marriage on his 9 p.m. radio show, Let's Talk News, broadcast over the airwaves of WYGG, the city's black radio station. In an interview with the Asbury Park Press following the show, Holland said that the general consensus among those folks who came on the show is that there is a biblical standard to marriage and that God ordained marriage to be between a man and a woman. So as a Christian, I wholeheartedly embrace that sentiment. Holland refused to compare the gay rights movement to the civil rights movement, since in the latter movement, black people died and were denied rights because of the color of their skin. But homosexuals, he said, had the ability to control their behavior. The Asbury Park Press added, this interpretation of gay life underlies some of the opposition that has been expressed in Asbury Park during the past week, but belies what gay couples say is the reality of their life experience, 
and what they say studies support. On March 28, 2004, roughly three weeks after the marriage of Best and Navarrete at City Hall, the Black clergy of Asbury Park took action. They organized a prayer vigil on Main Street, attended by 1,200 residents, most of them Black. The organizers said that they came to pray for the issues dividing the city, including drug use, poverty, housing, gangs, violence, and poor schools. But it was the gay marriage controversy in the city that prompted the vigil. Reverend Porter S. Brown, the pastor of Faith Baptist Tabernacle on Bangs Avenue, told the Asbury Park Press that the granting of a marriage license to a gay couple was the final issue that made local area churches decide to unite in prayer for the good of the community. The press also reported that the issue of gay marriage was the topic that dominated conversation during a news conference held after the vigil. Reverend Brown accused the city council of catering to just one segment of the city's population, namely the Asbury Park gay community. He affirmed his belief in traditional marriage and announced that the word of God is to be taken as is, and the Black community of Asbury Park was not going to compromise. Another attendee at the event said, there is more than just the gay community in this town. City Hall needs to be concerned about the feelings of the Christian community. The press reported that 30 different churches were represented at the vigil. Participants gathered along a five block stretch of Main Street and prayed aloud for half an hour, holding hands with heads bowed and Bibles in hand. They sang hymns and spirituals, clapped their hands, embraced one another in Christian love, and waved flags representing different countries. Passing drivers honked their horns and waved at the assembly. Many of those participating in the vigil held signs quoting biblical passages and other spiritual sayings such as, Jesus hates sin, loves sinners. The Reverend Carolyn Anderson of Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Neptune said, we didn't come out here to exhibit hatred. We came to exhibit God's love. But City Hall received six phone calls from members of the gay community who were concerned about the vigil. Louis Navarrett told the press that he was also part of Asbury Park's Christian community. Love in any form is not a sin, he said, especially since God is love. And that is the beauty of being a Christian. But most on Main Street did not see it that way. A member of the Asbury Park Deliverance Center said that the city was in need of great spiritual healing, adding that it takes God's soldiers to do that. Another participant praised the city's spiritual leaders for organizing the event. For, he said, it is through their leadership that people respond. So how representative was the Asbury Park March 2004 prayer vigil? How did Black churches across the country respond to the ever-growing calls for gay marriage in the early months of 2004? We will explore this in our next episode of this podcast.
History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lane. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button.